Just think, a year ago at this time, we were all under lockdown orders. Remember that? Yeah. We were only supposed to venture out for essential reasons. Couldn't get together like we wanted to. And that's something most of us have never experienced before in America. But for a man named Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible, it was something he was very familiar with. In fact, today we're starting a series called Choose Joy as we look at one of the letters he wrote from his own lockdown. And today we call this letter Philippians because it was written by Paul to a church uh, that was founded in a city in northern Greece uh, called Philippi. And Paul started this church here around 51 AD, about 10 years before he wrote this letter. This city was an important hub for commerce, for travel. Uh, it was an important cultural center uh, between back and forth between Rome and the East. And Acts 16, 9 through 40, uh, it tells us how this church got started. And I would encourage you this week, take a time and read that chapter of scripture. Because it is a fascinating story of how God birthed the church in, in Philippi. Um, but Paul had intended to go to Asia. He had plans. Has anybody ever had your plans frustrated by God and you thought you were going one way and you ended up going the other? That's what happened to Paul to start the church in Philippi. He had planned to go to Asia, but God sent him to Europe instead. And the first church started in Europe was the church at Philippi. Yeah. So there's a lot in this letter that we can relate to. So he wrote it about 10 years after he started the church. Around 61 AD, he wrote this letter. And it was while he was under house arrest in Rome. Sound familiar? Lockdown, house arrest, kind of the same thing. He had wanted to go to Rome for a long time. Because Rome's like the center of the Roman Empire, right? Makes sense. So he wanted to go there to bring the gospel there, tell people about Jesus so it would spread all over. Um, but he didn't really know, nobody really knew before that the way God was going to send him was in chains as a prisoner for the Lord because he had been, he was in prison because he was sharing his faith and they didn't like that. Uh, even though he was under house arrest though, he was still free for people to come and visit him and he could write letters, he could preach and teach from his home there, but he couldn't leave the home. Now, so I, I kind of wonder, it made me think about this, I wonder what kind of letter would you write when you, from your lockdown experience? From when you were under lockdown, what kind of letter would you have written during that time? What, what would be the major themes of your letter? Maybe some fear, probably. Maybe anger or frustration, uncertainty. Would any of you characterize your time in lockdown as full of joy? Anyone? Anyone here? Full, I don't see any hands here. Oh, there's a few. There's a few hands here. A few hands full of joy. Uh, well, the word, so this is Paul's letter from lockdown, and the word joy and rejoice is going to come up again and again in this letter, in fact, 16 times in only four chapters. That's pretty amazing. When I was about 10 years old, I had pneumonia and I was in the hospital for a week. And then I had to come home and recover at home. And so I was at home for another week or so, just where I couldn't go back to school, I couldn't go outside, I couldn't do anything. 
And we lived in a manufactured house or a mobile home at the time that had just like this one long hallway. And I remember as a kid at that time, after I was home from the hospital but not well enough to return to normal life, I would pace that hallway because I was just stir crazy. I wanted to be outside, to be with people. And I know many of us who have experienced quarantine over this last year can kind of relate to that kind of feeling where you just get antsy and stir crazy. But Paul was locked down for two years. Now, if I got antsy after two weeks, I can only imagine what he would have experienced after being in that one place confined for two years. And some of us got antsy after only a few months. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So imagine how we would feel after two years. Mm -hmm. Two years of lockdown, two years outside of our control, being able to do what we wanted to do and go where we wanted to go. And so I think that we can really gain a lot. We can understand Paul's letter in a new way because we've had a taste of some of that experience. And so while we see impending forecasts of doom and gloom and there's so many things outside of our control, we can camp out with Paul in the middle of his letter to the Philippians and maybe gain some fresh insight on how we can truly live our lives in this season in a way that honors God. Uh, in a way that is joy-filled. Mm -hmm. So let's take a minute. We're going to dive into this chapter, and let's just ask God to speak to our hearts and help us see through Paul's eyes so that we can live differently today. Father, as we open your word, we believe that it is Holy Spirit-inspired, and it didn't stop with Paul, but Lord, it is for us today, fresh, alive, God-breathed. So speak to us. Yeah. Quicken our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would leave changed by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, let's look at this. If you got your Bible or you got your phone, you can pull out your YouVersion app, Bible app. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I get right out of this right away is that you cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. Who's the Lone Ranger? He is a guy who did everything on his own. He was, you know, he's a one-man band. Well, you need other Christians in order to live for Christ. In fact, you need a lo your local church. You need to be committed to your local church in order to impact people for Jesus. Paul knew he wasn't a one-man band, even though he was very anointed, wrote so much of the New Testament, but he recognizes here in, in this first part that he needs, he's got other people with him. Timothy, he includes Timothy in this letter. He addresses it to the deacons, the overseers, and all the Christian brothers and sisters because living for Jesus and helping others follow him takes more than just the pastors or the musicians it takes all of us. It takes all of us. If you, if you follow the NFL as, at all, uh, you may remember when our Wisconsin boy, J.J. Watt, was playing for the Texans, right? Got to give Texas a hard time. Yeah, sure, there's, sure. there's our resident Texan here. And uh, that's her team as well, so sorry. But <laughs> do what you can do. I know. Well, you know, J.J. Watt, he was kind of fun to watch. The camera just loved to show him all the time. In fact, you'd think, I watched some of the games, I, I thought, is he the only one out there? 
because he's the only one they show all the time. Uh, can you imagine that, though, if that were actually the case? If J.J. Watt is a great player, but if he were really the only person on the team, he would not make it very far. I don't think he'd make it through a whole game because that's a lot of people against one person. Well, the same is true for us. And I, I heard a report recently from Gallup that said after 80 years of surveys, for the first time, they found that under half of Americans say that they're a member of a house of worship. It's the first time that's ever happened that it's gone that low. It's only 47% now. Only 47% of Americans say that they're a member of uh, a house of worship. Uh, there are more Americans attending church. They just don't consider themselves to be members of the church. They're not committed to any church. I think the pandemic kind of sped up that trend because now Christians, like some Christians, like to do their church hopping from home and they like to watch church services from all over the world and not be a member of any of them, not belong to any of them. But there's a reason that Paul emphasized that we need to be part of a team. You need other people and other people need you too. The church was started by God and he designed it for us to need each other. So you know what? It's time to get in the game. It's time to get committed to a local church and get involved. We need you and you need the church. So let's keep going in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel for the, from the first day until now. Now, as we talked about just a little bit ago, Acts 16 talks about the birth of the church at Philippi. It talks about how the gospel first came there. And that story also included not just the redirection of Paul from Asia to Europe. It also included Paul and his partner Silas being beaten and thrown in prison and then a midnight jailbreak. So this all happened in Philippi. And so when you think of Paul thinking back to Philippi and the Philippian church and the Philippian believers, I think it would be easy to imagine that his memories would have been colored with that pain, that he might have remembered pain and hurt and difficulty, but instead his heart overflowed with thanksgiving for them and that time and that place and that season. His past place of struggle triggered present prayer and praise. His past struggle triggered present prayer and praise. So I think that begs the question for us, and it's something we can ask ourselves, where can our pain triggers become our praise cues? Where can the things that brought us pain in the past become these moments that just trigger us to offer thanksgiving, trigger us to offer praise to God, help our hearts to spill over you know, where in your daily life can present circumstances bring prayer reminders? You know, maybe it's when you're in the grocery store and you see somebody who looks like that second grade teacher you had that you weren't really sure if you liked, but you had them and you remember them. Maybe in that moment, you pray for that teacher that you haven't thought about in 20 years. And then maybe you pray for the person in front of you that you don't know that reminded you of that person. You know, maybe you hear something, you hear a foreign language being spoken, and you, you think of that country where it's, where it's a na their native tongue, and you pray for that country. 
everything in our life can become those prayer cues, those prayer reminders, and it can spill over in thanksgiving and honor and glory to God. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great thing to keep in mind. Well, also in this verse we see here's Paul's first use of the word joy. Um, the dictionary defines joy and happiness as pretty much the same thing. But in the Bible, they are totally different. Let me explain. So what we tend to think of as happiness is when life is going well and everything's going our way. And, you know, we think, okay, I feel happy about that. I'm happy. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm enjoying life. I'm happy. And when things aren't going my way, when things are falling apart, then I feel sad. I feel miserable. I feel unhappy. It's all based on my circumstances. But joy in the Bible is totally different. It doesn't depend on circumstances. Vernon McGee says that true joy comes out of a personal relationship with Jesus. So I told you that the word joy appears 16 times in this letter, but the name of Jesus appears 40 times in this letter. We always think of joy as the theme of this letter, but actually this book is all about Jesus. This letter is centered on Jesus because Jesus is the source of our joy. You want joy? You need Jesus. You need a personal relationship with Jesus. Because when you become a follower of Jesus, your joy comes from knowing that you've been forgiven of everything you've done wrong. It comes from knowing that you'll be with Jesus when you die. It comes from the Holy Spirit living within you. That gives you a joy that is just unexplainable. Your circumstances can't change it, can't erase it. It's, it's there. It's implanted in you. Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, he said this as he was about to face crucifixion, death on a cross. Paul is writing this letter as he's stuck in lockdown, talking about how joyful he is. Clearly, Jesus and Paul both saw that there's a difference between joy and happiness. So we're going to be unpacking this. Stay tuned. As, as we go deeper into this letter, we're going to be uncovering more and more secrets that Paul has about living in joy, even in hard times. Absolutely. Paul says part of the reason he is able to be so joyful is the Philippian church, the Philippian believers joined the team, like you talked about. They were invested. They were partners with him in the gospel. They partnered in prayer, but they also partnered in really practical, tangible ways, in financial support. You know, it, jail in Paul's time when he was in Rome was a little different than jail today. He had to pay his own rent while he was in jail. He had to rent the house he was living in, even though he couldn't leave it, and he really probably wouldn't have chosen to be there anyway. But he had to foot the bill for his meals, for, for that place that he was staying. And the Philippian church gave offerings to help support him in that time so that he could live there, so he could be in that place, so he could continue to minister and share the gospel. And we get that opportunity, too, by our giving. When we tithe, which is the 10%, the first 10% of our income, or when we give our offerings, which is over and above that, we're partnering with the ministry of this church. We're partner, partnering with what God's doing around the world. The extravaganza that happened here a few weeks ago, reaching over 100 people, you know, bringing candy doesn't seem like a big thing. 
but it's partnering to reach people for Jesus. It, it, it's partnering in the gospel. We partner with Teen Challenge to bring hope to those who are held captive in addiction, convoy of hope, missionaries, other things. We are partnering like the people of Philippi did with Paul. Yeah, we're bringing God's love all over the world, all, all countries in the world. We're supporting missionaries to bring God's love to them, and that's a partnership. So that's pretty cool that we get to be partners in that way. You might think, you know, I'd like to help, but I just don't have much to give. Well, the Philippians didn't either. Listen to what Paul says to them, or says about them in another letter in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, talking about the Philippians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I think we need to be more like them, to give out of joy because of how God's going to use that gift of what God's going to do as we give. That's pretty awesome. So don't miss God's blessing in, in how God wants to use it, how we get to partner with people all over the world. So Paul's letter continues in uh, cha chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is one of those verses I come back to again and again. It's one of those verses I pray that trusting that God's going to finish what he started. Yes. He's going to keep it on even when I lose heart. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here who can be like me sometimes. And you have projects around the house that you started with great gusto. And it was very exciting. And you had this vision. You knew how it was going to play out. You knew how it was going to look. And it was going to be wonderful and six months later, there's still a pile of supplies and maybe a half-done project somewhere around the house. Anybody? Yeah, thank you. I'm not alone here. This is good. Yay, thank you. Now, it could be anything. It's not necessarily a house project. It could be a half-done workout plan or a half-done diet plan or a half-done, half-read book that's sitting on your nightstand. Doesn't matter. Sometimes we have trouble finishing. <laughs> is what I'm saying. We have trouble getting to the finish line of things. You know, we can struggle because of distractions, because of discouragement, because of difficulty. And just like those projects, we can get where we feel stuck in our walk with God because we feel like we have trouble growing or trouble getting to where we think we need to go. We get frustrated because we seem to fight the same battles over and over again. And Paul's words here can remind us, especially when we're feeling stuck like that, that our God will finish what he started. Amen. He will finish what he started. You know, we may have questioned it before our morning coffee today, but if our hearts are beating and our breath is breathing, we are alive. We're alive. And so God is still working. I love that part of the song that we sing, my testimony, that if I'm not dead, he's not done. Because there is hope in that statement. Because life can feel long lived from our, from our vantage point. But God is able to do every single thing that he has promised. He can finish everything that he has said. So I can know he's still working in my life. We are all in process. So we just have to be patient, 
keep trusting and keep participating with God in what he's doing. Amen. That's good news, right? Yeah. Amen. That's a good verse to memorize, too. If you haven't done that, that's a good verse. Let's go on in verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, in the original language, uh, we see there's an emphasis over and over uh, that he's addressing this letter to all of you, not just to you, not just to one person, but to all of you. As followers of Jesus, we have a special bond with Christians all over the world. If you've ever traveled, you've been somewhere, you've, you run into another Christian, there's this special bond that we have with other Christians all over the world. That's because God's grace unites us. Isn't it funny how the more secularized our world becomes, the more divisive it becomes as well? You notice that? Everyone has their own tribe that they belong to, and we can't seem to talk civilly to one another. People define themselves according to their nationality or their sexual identity or gender and separate themselves from others in that way. But for Christians, we don't define ourselves that way. Before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't define myself according to my nationality or my political party or my skin color or even how many likes I have on Instagram. I'm a child of God, and this world is not my home. That's how true Christians define themselves. And that's why God's grace unites us even across barriers that the world just can't seem to get over. Absolutely. So in verse 9, Paul gives us a glimpse of what's been on his mind during his imprisonment. So think back. What was on your mind during lockdown? What were you trying to get around or get over or get through? Um, we have to take those thoughts captive, you know, because we could have been easily overwhelmed by every news headline and every social media post and everything that wanted to point to the doom and gloom and uh, fear and all of those things. We can get overwhelmed, but we have to deliberately do what Paul does here, which is keep lifting our eyes to the eternal, lifting our eyes to Jesus and what he's doing and what he has done. We have to elevate not just our eyes, but our thoughts and our prayers to those eternal matters like Paul does. So there's four things that we can learn in this prayer that he is praying that we can put into practice and pray over our lives, our family, and our church. Mm -hmm. Philippians 1.9 says it this way. He says, and this is my prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Yeah, so number one is this. Ask God for our love to overflow. Ask God for our love to overflow. We have barely begun to scratch the surface on the depths of God's love. Even the greatest submarine, if God's love were an ocean, and you had the greatest submarine in the world, you could not go deep enough to go to the depths of God's love. Isn't that awesome? So we need to ask that God's love would overflow in two ways. Number one, he says, so that we know God and his ways. How do we get to know God more? Well, here's a few recommendations. If you've got a smartphone or something, get the Bible app. Do some reading plans on there. You got the, if you've got kids, get the Bible app for kids. they got a special app where you can take them through stories in the Bible. 
Download the Bible in One Year app. That's a different kind of app where it actually goes through the Bible in one year with devotionals. And there's a full version, but there's also a 10-minute version that will even read it to you as you're driving or you know, getting ready or whatever. Get into the Bible. Get to know God. Get to know his ways. So it's not just knowing his ways. It's so that we can have those ways changing how we think and how we interact with our world. So he prays that we would have a depth of insight or discernment about our words and actions. Think about how quickly we can get fired up at something we read on the internet. I mean, it's like zero to 60 in 1.4 seconds. It's just like, (laughs) all of a sudden we're worked up. Here's my recommendation about that. We need to be so saturated with God's word and his presence that we learn to evaluate our social media interactions, our news interactions, through the lens of his word. We need that discernment and insight as we engage our world. Maybe it means we limit how much time we're on social media or limit our news (laughs) consumption because we need to be made sure God, his word supersedes any word of anyone else. So we need to know and be able to view our world through the lens of his word at all times because when we think we're influencing through social, social media, social media, When we think we're influencing, who are we influencing for? Are we influencing for God? Are we displaying his love abounding in our lives? Or are we just spewing out our anger, our flesh, our our situations? We have to be led in love and not by emotions that are going to, to choke out that word around us. Amen. And the best way to influence someone is to start with prayer. Start with prayer. Uh, he says, he, he prays this, he says, he prays this so that, in verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So number two is ask God to help you discern what is best. What is best. This means going beyond, you know, what is right and wrong to what is good, what is better, and what is best. Because there's a lot of things that are good in life, but you know, there's the things that are urgent and there's things that are important. Often we focus on the urgent because we like to procrastinate, right? As human beings, a lot of us like to procrastinate. Any confessors here? Maybe a few. Uh, so but he's talking about discerning what is best, not just focusing on the urgent, but the important. The important that we always tend to put off. We need to focus on what really matters in life. And Paul tells us later on in this letter what that is. It's to know Christ and to live for him. That's it. The most important thing is to know Christ and to live for him. Our world is full of options. We can fill our time with endless experiences, entertainment, travel. Kids have so many opportunities Uh, to do a lot of good things, sports, clubs, teams, groups. And I get that we want kids to be well-rounded. I get that. And these things aren't bad things. But we just have to be careful. Because being well-rounded won't keep anyone out of eternity in hell, separated from God. Being well-rounded is not going to save you in the end. 
And, you know, just be, because they were too busy and they never got their life right with God. You need to decide what's most important. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he had it all. He had everything. He had every experience. He had all the riches in the world he could possibly want. He had everything. And he said that it was all meaningless compared to living for God. That's right. So the third part of this prayer is that we want to ask God to make us pure and blameless. To ask God to make us pure and blameless. Why? Because we want to be ready to see Jesus face to face. We want to be ready when he returns, that we're ready to go with him. Um, we need to be ready in any moment, in season and out of season. And there's a couple of ways he wants us to be made pure or to be uh, blameless. And so being pure, the word here comes from the Greek words for sunlight and judgment. Sunlight and judgment. And I found that really interesting that there were sculpture makers in Paul's day who sold idol, idols or vases or just things that they made, and they were a little less than honest. So they would make errors with their sculptures. They'd make errors in what they were making. They'd get cracks, and it wouldn't look perfect. So no problem. They would fill the cracks in with wax and then paint the sculpture. So it looked perfect. It looked like there was nothing wrong with it. But what would happen is someone would buy it and take it out into the sun. Yeah, the sunlight within the warmth would melt the wax, would peel the paint off, and then they would see what they really brought home, what they really got. And we have to be aware that we are not, being pure is allowing the light of Christ, the light of his word, to examine our lives. It's where we're not trying to cover over. We're not trying to hide. We are letting that word reveal those cracks, that we're not covering it through with wax, but we are coming out. We're not covering it up, but we are coming to God and asking him to purify us and make us more like Jesus on a daily basis. Amen. The second way to live ready is this, being blameless. Now, this Greek word means not causing others to stumble. There's a lot of things in life that aren't necessarily sin. Uh, so we might think, well, it's no big deal. It's not a sin, so, you know, have at it. But being blameless goes beyond that. It asks this question, could my actions cause someone else to stumble? You know, we try to justify it. I can control it. I only drink socially. Those videos or movies or whatever I watch, they don't really affect me. Eventually we'll get married. We don't have to be in church every week and on and on and on it goes. And, and while some of these things are technically true, the real question is, how are my choices going to affect someone else? Being blameless means I don't want to do anything that would encourage someone else to sin, to, fall, to, 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 to turn their back on the Lord. I don't want to do anything that would make someone stumble. People are watching you. If you've got kids, you know they watch you. They see everything you do. They mimic you. They take on your mannerisms. Whatever you do, they're going to think it's okay to do even more. So whatever you're justifying, it's just not worth the price of causing someone else to stumble and fall away from the Lord. 
So let's look at the last part of the prayer Paul prayed. And it's in uh, verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the last prayer, the last part of this prayer that we want to pray on a regular basis is that we want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you every day. You know, we talked about just a minute ago in being pure, the cracks that those uh, sculptures would have. And I think it's helpful and important for us to recognize that we all have broken pieces. Mm -hmm. We all have broken places in our lives. There are all cracks um, that we have to experience. But we don't want to hide them. We want to instead have the Holy Spirit within us filling us so that in the broken places of our life, the Holy Spirit is what comes out of those cracks. That it's, he spills out to the world around us. That he is coming in and filling in those broken places, making us whole, healing us, restoring us. You know, God sent the Holy Spirit as our comforter and advocate. He is not to be just kind of around us, but he is sent to dwell within us, mm -hmm. to empower us to live for Jesus on a daily basis. The scripture says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and the Holy Spirit's indwelling is part of that. Now, if this is not something that's very familiar for you, uh, I wouldn't encourage you to come back next week. Renee Pilsing is going to be here. She is going to be t speaking on the Holy Spirit and the power, so come be a part of that. But know that the Holy Spirit wants you to be overflowing with his power and his presence. It's not a dripping kind of faucet. It's a mighty river. Mm -hmm. And he wants you to have the full access of him overflowing in your life. Just like an apple tree is not going to produce oranges. An apple tree produces apples. The fruit of the Holy Spirit comes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It comes by allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in and work in our life. And being filled with the Holy Spirit has a beginning place. We start by having a personal relationship with Jesus. We have to have that personal relationship because to be righteous means that we have a right standing, a right relationship with God, and that's only through Jesus Christ. That's only through him. You need Jesus to experience that true life change. So if you're, if you're here today, you're watching online, and you've never taken that step to invite the Lord to come into your life, to ask Jesus to be the leader of your life, to forgive you of your sins, to make you a new person, that, so you could have this relationship with God. Or maybe you realize you did that, but you've been kind of drifting, and that hasn't been number one in your life. You might say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. God could never forgive me. It's not too late for you. Don't let this moment pass you by without taking this first step in your life to get your life right with God. So that when Jesus comes, you'll be ready. It starts with just what we call the ABCs. A, admit that you've sinned against God. You've, you've messed up. You haven't lived up to God's standard. Believe that Jesus is God's son. He died for you. He loves you so much. He came to this world. 
to live a perfect life and die on your behalf, to take the penalty for all your sins by dying on the cross. And C, commit to live the rest of your life for him. So if that's any of you here today, you would say, I want to commit my life to God. I want to recommit my life to God. I want him to come in to give me that peace that you're talking about. Fill me with his love. Fill me with his spirit so I can live for him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Anyone in this room? Be brave. Just raise your hand. I see that hand in the front. Anyone else? Anyone else say, I want to raise my hand. I want to commit my life. I want you to pray for me. I see those hands in the front. Anyone else? I see that hand. Anyone else today? I want to say, I want to do that. I see that hand there in the back. I see that hand there. Let's just pray for all those who have raised their hands and for those of you watching online today as well. Just pray something like this. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all the wrong things that I've thought, all the wrong things that I've said, all the wrong things I've done. Cover me with your purity. Make me pure. Make me blameless. Make me white as snow. I believe you are God's son. I believe you are, that you came and died for me. Thank you for your love for me, for being willing to do that. I commit to live the rest of my life for you. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit so I can live for you and be ready for when you come again. Hallelujah. If you pray that prayer and you've never prayed that before or you need help getting started, come talk to us. Let us know. We want to help you get started. We want to get a Bible in your hands. So you can get started on your journey. Let's just all stand right now. I want to pray this prayer that Paul prayed. I want to pray this over you. And I want you to take this home and begin praying this over your family. Begin praying this over our church. Let's, let me just pray this and pray this with me. Would you, Father, I ask that our love would overflow in knowing you and your ways and in discerning our words and our actions. We want to grow in our love for each other so that we start with prayer. We resolve our problems with prayer. And, and we are discerning in how we speak, how we talk, because we are reflecting you to the world. Father, help us discern what is best, that we would never settle for anything less, not even the things that are good, that are taking away from the best. We don't want that. We want the best. <laughs> We want the best so that we come to know you and live for you and we raise families who know you and live for you. Father, make us pure. Make us blameless so that when your spotlight shines on us, Lord, there would be no cracks. We would take care of those things. We'd bring them to you. Lord, that there would be nothing, nothing in our lives that we would justify that might cause someone to stumble. We don't want to be ashamed. We want to lead lives that draw other people to you. So Holy Spirit, come. Fill us now. Fill us now to overflowing. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Have your way in our lives. 
Fill us to overflowing so that other people see us. They see these fruit of the Spirit. They see our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They see all those things because we're full of your Spirit. And those things just flow out of us. And they just flow out to other people around us. And they draw other people to you. Lord, that's what we want to see. Help us to be people of prayer. People that are calling on your name. Fill us, Lord. We invite you. Have your way. Lord, may this kind of prayer be what we pray. All these other things that we pray, all these other things we think about, they are, they're okay, but they're not the best. Help us to elevate our minds, elevate our prayers, be praying about eternal things, things that really matter. In Jesus' name, amen.